0: Section 5 of Pillar of Fire by Ray Bradbury. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Ben Tucker. Five. They stood outside the morgue together, the tall, pink, white-haired man and Lantry, hands in their pockets. It was a cool night with a white shell of a moon that washed a house here, a road there, and further on parts of a river. Cigarette! The man offered Lantry one. Thanks. They lit up together. The man glanced at Lantry's mouth. Cool, not. Cool. They shifted their feet. Terrible accident. Terrible. So many dead. So many. Lantry felt himself some sort of delicate weight upon a scale. The other man did not seem to be looking at him, but rather listening and feeling toward him. There was a feathery balance here that made for vast discomfort. He wanted to move away and get out from under this balancing weighing. The tall, white-haired man said, My name's McClure. Did you have any friends inside? asked Lantry. No, casual acquaintance. Awful accident. Awful. They balanced each other. The beetle hissed by on the road with its seventeen tires whirling quietly. The moon shone a little town further over in the black hills. I say, said the man, McClure. Yes. Could you answer me a question? Be glad to. He loosened the knife in his coat pocket, ready. Is your name Lantry? Asked the man at last. Yes. William Lantry? Yes. Then you're the man who came out of the Salem graveyard day before yesterday, aren't you? "'Yes.' "'Good lord, I'm glad to meet you, Lantry. "'We've been trying to find you for the past 24 hours.' "'The man seized his hand, pumped it, slapped him on the back. "'What? What?' said Lantry. "'Good lord, man, why did you run off? "'Do you realize what an instance this is? "'We want to talk to you!' "'McClure was smiling, glowing, another handshake, another slap. "'I thought it was you.' "'The man is mad,' thought Lantry, absolutely mad. Here, I've toppled his incinerators, killed people, and he's shaking my hand. Mad, mad. Will you come along to the hall? said the man, taking his elbow. Wh- what hall? Lantry stepped back. The Science Hall, of course. It isn't every year we get a real case of suspended animation. In small animals, yes, but in a man, hardly. Will you come? What's the act? declared Lantry, glaring. What's all this talk? My dear fellow, what do you mean? the man was stunned never mind is that the only reason you want to see me what other reason would there be mr lantry you don't know how glad i am to see you he almost did a little dance i suspected when we were in there together you being so pale and all and and then the way you smoked your cigarette something about it a lot of other things all subliminal but it is you isn't it it is you it is i william lantry dryly good fellow come along the beetle moved swiftly through the dawn streets mcclure talked rapidly lantry sat listening astounded here was this fool mcclure playing his cards for him here was this stupid scientist or whatever accepting him not as a suspicious baggage a murderous item oh no quite the contrary only as a suspended animation case was he considered not as a dangerous man at all far from it of course cried mcclure grinning "'You didn't know where to go, whom to turn to. "'It was all quite incredible to you.' "'Yes.' "'I had a feeling you'd be there at the morgue tonight,' said McClure happily. "'Oh?' Lantry stiffened. "'Yes, can't explain it. "'But you, how shall I put it, ancient Americans, you had funny ideas on death. "'And you were among the dead so long, I felt you'd be drawn back by accident by the morgue and all. It's not very logical. Silly, in fact. It's just a feeling.' I hate feelings, but there it was. I came on a, I guess you'd call it a hunch, wouldn't you? You might call it that. And there you were. There I was, said Lantry. Are you hungry? I've eaten. How do you get around? I hitchhiked. You what? People gave me rides on the road. Remarkable. I imagine it sounds that way. He looked at the passing houses. So this is the era of space travel, is it? Oh, we've been traveling to Mars for some forty years now. Amazing, and those big funnels, those towers in the middle of every town? Those, haven't you heard? The incinerators? Oh of course they hadn't anything of that sort in your time. Had some bad luck with them, an explosion in Salem and one here all in forty eight hour period. Look as if you were going to speak, what is it? I was thinking, said Lantry, how fortunate I got on my coffin when I did. I might well have been thrown into one of your incinerators and burned up. That would have been terrible, wouldn't it have? Quite. Lantry toyed with the dials on the beetle dash. He wouldn't go to Mars. His plans were changed. If this fool simply refused to recognize an act of violence when he stumbled upon it, then let him be a fool. If they didn't connect the two explosions with a man from the tomb, all well and good. Let them go on deluding themselves. If they couldn't imagine someone being mean and nasty and murderous, heaven help them. He rubbed his hands with satisfaction. No, no Martian trip for you as yet, Lantry lad. First, we'll see what can be done, boring from the inside. Plenty of time. The incinerators can wait an extra week or so. One has to be subtle, you know. Any more immediate explosions might cause quite a ripple of thought. McClure was gabbling wildly on course, you don't have to be examined immediately. You'll want to rest. I'll put you up at my place. Thanks. I don't feel up to being probed and pulled plenty of time in a week or so. They drew up before a house and climbed out. Y'all won't sleep, naturally. I've been asleep for centuries. Be glad to stay awake. I'm not a bit tired. Good. McClure let them into the house. He headed for the drink bar. A drink will fix us up. You have one, said Lantry. "'Later for me. I just want to sit down.' "'By all means, sit,' McClure mixed himself a drink. He looked around the room, looked at Lantry, paused a moment with the drink in his hand, tilted his head to one side, and put his tongue in his cheek. Then he shrugged and stirred the drink. He walked slowly to a chair and sat, sipping the drink quietly. He seemed to be listening for something. "'There are cigarettes on the table,' he said. "'Thanks.' Lantry took one and lit it and smoked it. He did not speak for some time. Lantry thought, I'm taking this all too easily. Maybe I should kill and run. He's the only one that has found me yet. Perhaps this is all a trap. Perhaps we're simply sitting here, waiting for the police. Or whatever in hell they use for police these days. He looked at McClure. No, they weren't waiting for the police. They were waiting for something else. McClure didn't speak. He looked at Lantry's face, and he looked at Lantry's hands. He looked at Lantry's chest a long time, with easy quietness. He sipped his drink. He looked at Lantry's feet. Finally, he said, "'Where'd you get the clothing?' "'I asked someone for clothes, and they gave these things to me. Darn nice of them.' "'You'll find that's how we are in this world. All you have to do is ask.' McClure shut up again. His eyes moved." Only his eyes and nothing else. Once or twice he lifted his drink. A little clock ticked somewhere in the distance. Tell me about yourself, Mr. Lantry. Nothing much to tell? You're modest? Hardly. You know about the past. I know nothing of the future. Or I should say, today and day before yesterday. You don't learn much in a coffin. McClure did not speak. He suddenly sat forward in his chair and then leaned back and shook his head. They'll never suspect me, thought Lantry. They aren't superstitious. They simply can't believe in a dead man walking. Therefore, I'll be safe. I'll keep putting off the physical checkup. They're polite. They won't force me. Then I'll work it so I can get to Mars. After that, the tombs and my own good time and the plan. God, how simple. How simple. How naive these people are. McClure sat across the room for five minutes. A coldness had come over him. The color was very slowly going from his face as one sees the color of medicine vanishing as one presses the bulb at the top of a dropper. He leaned forward, saying nothing, and offered another cigarette to Lantry. Thanks. Lantry took it. McClure sat deeply back into his easy chair. His knees folded one over the other. He did not look at Lantry, and yet somehow he did. The feeling of weighing and balancing returned. McClure was like a tall, thin master of hounds listening for something that nobody else could hear. There are little silver whistles you can blow that only dogs can hear. McClure seemed to be listening acutely, sensitively, for such an invisible whistle. Listening with his eyes and with his half-open, dry mouth and with his aching, breathing nostrils. Lantry sucked the cigarette. Sucked the cigarette. Sucked the cigarette and as many times blew out, blew out, blew out. McClure was like some lean, red, shagged hound, listening and listening with a slick slide of eyes to one side, with an apprehension in that hand that was so precisely microscopic that one only sensed it, as one sensed the invisible whistle, with some part of the brain deeper than eyes or nostril or ear, McClure was all chemist's scale, all antennae. The room was so quiet the cigarette smoke made some kind of invisible noise rising to the ceiling. McClure was a thermometer, a chemist's scales, a listening hound, a litmus paper, an antennae, all these. Lantry did not move. Perhaps the feeling would pass. It had passed before. McClure did not move for a long while, and then, without a word, he nodded at the sherry decanter and Lantry refused as silently. They sat looking, but not looking, at each other. Again and away, again and away. McClure stiffened slowly. Lantry saw the color getting paler in those lean cheeks, and the hand tightening on the sherry glass, and a knowledge come at last to stay, never to go away into the eyes. Lantry did not move. He could not. All of this was of such a fascination that he wanted only to see, to hear what would happen next. It was McClure's show from here on in. McClure said, At first I thought it was the finest psychosis I have ever seen. You, I mean. I thought he's convinced himself, Lantry's convinced himself, he's quite insane. He's told himself to do all these little things. McClure talked as if in a dream, and continued talking, and didn't stop. I said to myself, "'He purposefully doesn't breathe through his nose. "'I watched your nostrils, Lantry. "'The little nostril hairs never once quivered in the last hour. "'That wasn't enough. "'It was a fact I filed. "'It wasn't enough. "'He breathed through his mouth, I said, on purpose. "'And then I gave you a cigarette, "'and you sucked and blew, sucked and blew. "'None of it ever came out your nose. "'I told myself, "'Well, that's all right. "'He doesn't inhale. "'Is that terrible? "'Is that suspect?' All in the mouth, all in the mouth. And then I looked at your chest. I watched. It never moved up or down. It did nothing. He's convinced himself, I said to myself. He's convinced himself about all this. He doesn't move his chest except slowly when he thinks you're not looking. That's what I told myself. The words went on in the silent room, not pausing, still in a dream. And then I offered you a drink, but you don't drink, and I thought, He doesn't drink, I thought. Is that terrible? And I watched and watched you all this time. Lantry holds his breath. He's fooling himself. But now, yes, now, I understand it quite well. Now I know everything the way it is. Do you know how I know? I do not hear breathing in the room. I wait, and I hear nothing. There is no beat of heart or intake of lungs. The room is so silent. Nonsense, one might say, but I know. At the incinerator, I know. There is a difference. You enter a room where a man is on a bed, and you know immediately whether he will look up and speak to you, or whether he will not speak to you ever again. Laugh, if you will, but one can tell. It is a subliminal thing. It is the whistle the dog hears when no human hears. It is the tick of a clock that has ticked so long one no longer notices. "'Something is in a room when a man lives in it. "'Something is not in the room when a man is dead in it.' "'McClure shut his eyes for a moment. "'He put down his sherry glass. "'He waited a moment. "'He took up his cigarette and puffed it, "'and then put it down in a black tray. "'I am alone in this room,' he said. "'Blantry did not move. "'You are dead. "'My mind does not know this.' It is not a thinking thing, it is a thing of the senses and the subconscious. At first I thought, this man thinks he is dead, risen from the dead, a vampire. Is that not logical? Would not any man, buried as many centuries, raised in a superstitious, ignorant culture, think likewise of himself once risen from the tomb? Yes, that is logical. This man has hypnotized himself and fitted his bodily functions so that they would in no way interfere with his self-delusion, his great paranoia. He governs his breathing, he tells himself. I cannot hear my breathing, therefore I am dead. His inner mind censors the sound of breathing. He does not allow himself to eat or drink. These things he probably does in his sleep with part of his mind, hiding the evidences of this humanity from his deluded mind at other times. "'McClure finished it. "'I was wrong. "'You are not insane. "'You are not deluding yourself, nor me. "'This is all very illogical and, I must admit, almost frightening. "'Does that make you feel good to think you frighten me? "'I have no label for you. "'You're a very odd man, Lantry. "'I'm glad to have met you. "'This will make an interesting report indeed.' Is there anything wrong with me being dead? said Lantry. Is it a crime? You must admit it's highly unusual. But still now, is it a crime? asked Lantry. We have no crime, no criminal court. We want to examine you naturally to find out how you have happened. It is like that chemical which one minute is inert, the next is living cell. Who can say where? What happened to what? You are that impossibility. It is enough to drive a man quite insane. Will I be released when you are done fingering me? You will not be held if you don't wish to be examined. You will not be. But I am hoping you will help by offering us your services. I might, said Lantry. But tell me, said McClure, what were you doing at the morgue? Nothing. I heard you talking when I came in. I was merely curious. You're lying. That is very bad, Mr. Lantry. The truth is far better. The truth is, is it not, that you are dead and being the only one of your sort were lonely. Therefore, you killed people to have company. How does that follow? McClure laughed. Logic, my dear fellow. Once I knew you were really dead a moment ago, really a, what do you call it, a, Vampire, silly word, I tied you immediately to the incinerator blasts. Before that, there was no reason to connect you, but once the one piece fell into place, the fact that you were dead, then it was simple to guess your loneliness, your hate, your envy, all of the tawdry and motivations of a walking corpse. It took only an instant then to see the incinerators blown to blazes, and then to think of you among the bodies at the morgue, seeking help, seeking friends, and people like yourself to work with. "'You're too damn smart!' Lantry was out of the chair. He was halfway to the other man when McClure rolled over and scuttled away, flinging the sherry decanter. With a great despair, Lantry realized that, like a damned idiot, he had thrown away his one chance to kill McClure. He should have done it earlier. It had been Lantry's one weapon, his safety margin. If people in a society never killed each other, they never suspected one another. You could walk up to any one of them and kill them. "'Come back here!' Lantry threw the knife." McClure got behind a chair. The idea of flight, of protection, of fighting, was still new to him. He had part of the idea, but there was still a bit of luck on Lantry's side if Lantry wanted to use it. "'Oh, no,' said McClure, holding the chair between himself and the advancing man. "'You want to kill me. It's odd, but true. I can't understand it. You want to cut me with that knife or something like that, and it's up to me to prevent you from doing such an odd thing.' "'I will kill you,' Lantry let it slip out. He cursed himself. That was the worst possible thing to say. Lantry lunged across the chair, clutching at McClure. McClure was very logical. It won't do you any good to kill me, you know that. They wrestled and held each other in a wild, toppling shuffle. Tables fell over, scattering articles. You remember what happened in the morgue? I don't care, screamed Lantry. You didn't raise those dead, did you? I don't care, cried Lantry. Look here, said McClure reasonably. There will never be any more like you, ever. There's no use. Then I'll destroy all of you. All of you, screamed Lantry. And then what? You'll still be alone, with no more like you about. I'll go to Mars. They have tombs there. I'll find more like myself. No, said McClure. The executive order went through yesterday. All of the tombs are being deprived of their bodies. They'll be burned in the next week. They fell together to the floor. Lantry got his hands on McClure's throat. "'Please,' said McClure. "'Do you see? You'll die!' "'What do you mean?' cried Lantry. "'Once you kill all of us and you're alone, you'll die. The hate will die. The hate is what moves you, nothing else. That envy moves you, nothing else. You'll die inevitably. You're not immortal, you're not even alive. You're nothing but a moving hate.' I don't care, screamed Lantry and began choking the man, beating his head with his fists, crouched on the defenseless body. McClure looked up at him with dying eyes. The front door opened. Two men came in. I say, said one of them. What's going on? A new game? Lantry jumped back and began to run. Yes, a new game, said McClure, struggling up. Catch him and you win. The two men caught Lantry. We win, they said. "'Let me go!' Lantry thrashed, hitting them across their faces, bringing blood. "'Hold him tight!' cried McClure. They held him. "'A rough game, what?' one of them said. "'What do we do now?' The beetle hissed along the shining road. Rain fell out of the sky, and a wind rippled at the dark green wet trees. And the beetle, his hands on the half-wheel McClure, was talking. His voice was a susurrant, a whispering a hypnotic thing. The two other men sat in the back seat. Lantry sat, or rather lay in the front seat, his head back, his eyes faintly opened, the glowing green light of the dashed dials showing on his cheeks. His mouth was relaxed. He did not speak. McClure talked quietly and logically about life and moving, about death and not moving, about the sun and the great sun incinerator, about the emptied tomb yard, about hatred, and how hate lived and made a clay man live and move, and how illogical it all was, it all was, it all was. One was dead, was dead, was dead, that was all, all, all. One did not try to be otherwise. The car whispered on the moving road. The rain spatted gently on the windshield. The men in the back seat conversed quietly. Where were they going? To the incinerator, of course. Cigarette smoke moved slowly up on the air, curling and tying into itself in gray loops and spirals. One was dead and must accept it. Blantry did not move. He was a marionette, the strings cut. There was only a tiny hatred in his heart, and his eyes like twin coals, people, glowing, fading. I am Poe, he thought. I am all that is left of Edgar Allan Poe. And I am all that is left of Ambrose Bierce And all that is left of a man named Lovecraft I am a grey night bat with sharp teeth And I am a square black monolith monster I am Osiris and Baal and Set I am the Necronomicon, the Book of the Dead I am the House of Usher, falling into flame I am the Red Death I am the man mortared into the catacomb with a cask of amontillado. I am a dancing skeleton. I am a coffin, a shroud, a lightning bolt reflected in an old house window. I am an autumn empty tree. I am a rapping, flinging shutter. I am a yellowed volume turned by a claw hand. I am an organ played in an attic at midnight. I am a mask. A skull mask behind an oak tree on the last day of October. I am a poison apple bobbling. And a water tub for child noses to bump at. For child teeth to snap. I am a black candle lighted before an inverted cross. I am a coffin lid. A sheet with eyes. A footstep on a black stairwell. I am Dunsany and Mockin. And I am the legend of Sleepy Hollow. I am the monkey's paw, and I am the phantom rickshaw. I am the cat and the canary, the gorilla, the bat. I am the ghost of Hamlet's father on the castle wall. All of these things am I, and now these last things will be burned. While I lived, they still lived. While I moved and hated and existed, they still existed. I am all that remembers them. I am all of them that still goes on, and will not go on after tonight. Tonight all of us, Poe and Bierce and Hamlet's father we burn together. They will make a big heap of us, and burn us like a bonfire, like things of Guy Fawkes day, gasoline torchlight cries and all. And what a wailing will we put up. The world will be clean of us. But in our going we shall say, Oh, what is the world like clean of fear? Where is the dark imagination from the dark time? The thrill and the anticipation? The suspense of old October? Gone. Nevermore to come again. Flattened and smashed and burned by the rocket people. By the incinerator people. Destroyed and obliterated. To be replaced by doors that open and close, and lights that go on or off without fear. If only you could remember how we lived, what Halloween was to us, and what Poe was, and how we gloried in the dark morbidities. One more drink, dear friends of Amontillado. Before the burning, all of this, all exists but in one last brain on earth. The whole world dying tonight. One more drink. Pray. Here we are, said McClure. The incinerator was brightly lighted. There was quiet music nearby. McClure got out of the beetle, came around to the other side. He opened the door. Lantry simply lay there. The talking and the logical talking had slowly drained him of life. He was no more than wax now, with a small glow in his eyes. This future world, how the men talked to you, how logically they reasoned away your life, they wouldn't believe in him. The force of their disbelief froze him. He could not move his arms or his legs, he could only mumble senselessly, coldly, eyes flickering. McClure and the two others helped him out of the car, put him in a golden box and rolled him on a roller table into the warm, glowing interior of the building. ''I am Edgar Allan Poe. I am Ambrose Bierce. I am Halloween. I am a coffin, a shroud, a monkey's paw, a phantom, a vampire.'' ''Yes, yes,'' said McClure quietly over him. ''I know, I know.'' The table glided. The walls swung over him, and by him the music played. ''You're dead. You are logically dead. I am Usher. I am the Maelstrom. I am the MS found in a bottle.'' I am the pit, and I am the pendulum. I am the telltale heart. I am the raven, nevermore, nevermore. Yes, said McClure as they walked softly. I know. I am in the catacomb, cried Lantry. Yes, the catacomb, said the walking man over him. I am being chained to a wall, and there is no bottle of amontillado here, cried Lantry weakly, eyes closed. Yes, someone said. There was movement. The flame door opened. Now someone is mortaring up the cell, closing me in. Yes, I know, a whisper. The golden box slid into the flame lock. I'm being walled in. A very good joke indeed. Let us be gone. A wild scream and much laughter. We know. We understand. The inner flame lock opened. The golden coffin shot forth into flame. For the love of God, Montresor! For the love of God! End of section five. End of Pillar of Fire by Ray Bradbury.